Episode 89, Evidence-Based Speaker Bureau, Marketing and Seminar Logistics. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we are Jessica Riddle's Perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards-nominated host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. If you could be so kind, follow me on any social media that you'd like. On the top right of my page has all the icons. And let me know what person, profession, or specialty that you would like to hear from next on the show. Appreciate it. Welcome back to the show. Depending on when you hear this episode, you may notice that the sale has expired. But at the end of the episode, we talk about it. Buy the book, get the electric acupuncture pin free, or vice versa. It's the same thing. We're going to talk about today with Jessica Riddle because she has so much experience in marketing and planning events. For KC 2018, she was the spearhead behind the scenes. So we're going to talk about that and what it takes to create your own seminar if you were thinking about doing that. Uh, one-on-one meetings, you know, having coffee with somebody. How's to make that the most productive possible? Ideas for your blog. Where to get the ideas? Should you outsource the writing of it? What's the angle that you should use for the best uh, way to get new patients? Uh, social media influencing tips, uh, even a little bit about Pinterest and live chat. What in the world is it? How do you do it? Ways to make it awesome. And lastly, she is introducing a speakers bureau, an evidence-based speakers bureau, because so many organizations are looking for speakers, but they really don't know who to look for. So you get the same people or they're just not that great. So what they're going to do is you're going to have a great title, a great description, a few minute video of them teaching so that people will have a place to go to find the speakers that they need for their next event. It's a long episode. It's going to be good. Break it up if you need to. A doctorsperspective.net slash 89 for the show notes. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China in Texas, we're back for another fantastic week. Today, we're going to talk about marketing again, but our guest, she runs the gamut, y'all. She was a big deal in the Chamber of Commerce for a while. She's done magazines. She knows all about one-on-ones with other owners, hitting the pavement type of stuff. I mean, we can bring it old school, but then she also does new school stuff all the way from like content marketing, branding, digital marketing on Facebook and all the other social platforms. So get ready. It's going to be good. Welcome to the show, Jessica Riddle. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, like I said in the intro, I'm excited to have you because sometimes I think people forget how to network and they they lose it. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, I, I don't relate to people. I don't know how to go door knocking door to door as a, a brand new office. And and I know you're you're you've actually kept up with the times. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and it you know it's it's interesting because so often in business ownership, before you become an entrepreneur, before you start your own business, you don't realize how lonely it can be. And really how much at times it feels like you're on an island by yourself. So, uh, you know, I can't stress enough the value of kind of joining a community, building a community, not only to grow your practice and, and, and to get new patients in your door, but then also to have other colleagues that you can reach out to, um, even in other industries, other entrepreneurs and business owners that can kind of relate to, you know, what it's like to be you on a daily basis, you know, the, the struggles and the you know, the challenges that come along with that. When I was first in practice, you know, 27, own clinic, I was mm-hmm. asked, I texted my, my, my assistant and she was in her 50s. I was like, what's going on? I was like, I always miss happy hour. I was like, I don't really know what people do. <laughs> yeah. She's like, 
She's like, Justin, you don't have to worry about like you're 27. You have your own clinic. Your buddies have like a job and just you're in a completely different realm of responsibility. Like you need mm-hmm. friends that are not necessarily need friends that are like minded, but in the same way, yes, you kind of do because then you can both have those kind of conversations. And when you get off work later than everybody else, y'all know what to talk about and on the weekends and it. It did. It did get lonely after a while until you make that switch of like, I need to cultivate those types of friendships, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and likewise, you know, there are great challenges, but there are great rewards. So it kind of runs the gamut when it comes to business ownership. But when you can sit down and have a coffee with someone or have to reschedule coffee like three different times because your schedule changes last minute, um, you know, finding other entrepreneurs, other like-minded professionals, they, they get it. They understand. So that if you do have to cancel last minute, they're not offended. If you do miss happy hour, they understand because they know exactly what you're doing. And, you know, a lot of times in my career, especially since, you know, starting my own business, the friends of mine that are the ones that are up kind of burning the midnight oil with me and helping me figure things out, those have become some of the most valuable friendships because they do like they completely get it. For sure. So when we're talking about this, one way that I know the chamber would always recommend and doing uh, networking groups is to do these one-on-one meetings with other entrepreneurs in your area. Do you have any mm, advice on how to set those up or topics that are best to talk about in those types of meetings so that when you do get coffee with people you don't know, but you're trying to build these relationships, it'd be the most fruitful and most valuable for both of your time? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the key to any type of relationship building is to go into it more from a a curiosity standpoint and more from a contribution standpoint than a what can I get from this. So it's always best to go into those meetings. Um, first, you know, know, number one, who, you know, who you want to target and what you feel would be valuable from having that relationship. And that could be something as simple as Um, you know, they may run in some circles and know some other people that you would like to have them introduce you to, or it could be that they could be an amazing referral source for you. So the first thing is to just identify what you feel like would be valuable from that relationship. But then the next step, um, which is kind of on the other side of the spectrum is before you go to that meeting, at least do a little bit of research about who you're meeting with. So you know, go to their LinkedIn page, see professionally a little bit about what their experience is, the statements that they're making, the things that they're posting about, just so that you have an idea of who they are before you go into that meeting or that coffee. And then likewise, go into it with a number of different questions that you want to know, you know, make it be something that's a very open, mutual dialogue so that you don't go in immediately saying, you know, hi, my name is Dr. John Doe, and this is what I do, and this is what I'm looking for, and this is how you can help me. You know, nobody wants to go to a meeting and be like, whoa, okay, so you're just a leech that wants to you know, get something from me. But it's really great to go in first and just, you know, ask them things that you know they're interested in. Ask them about their business. Ask them things just to get to know them as a person and to connect with them on some level. And from there, you know, that's when you really develop, you know, a great working relationship and a friendship with someone so that, you know, there is that give and take to where when it does come time to ask them for a referral or an introduction, it's a very easy ask and it's very easy for them to say, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to help you. One of the things that I would do was asking those questions, like you said, what do you like? What is your what are your hobbies? Getting to know the person, 
because people love to talk about themselves. And then, and because we know it's a business meeting, I like I just make fun. I'm like, okay, sell me. What do you do? What kind of clients are you looking for? Let's have a moment where we just can just have that conversation as well without it being like awkward. And then they usually say, okay, that was 20 minutes. Now it's my turn to do the same thing for you. And then you both get the chance to get to know each other as a human being. And then also kind of be like, I'm not trying to pitch you particularly, but this is the type of client that I'm looking for. This is why we can meet and go further. Think we're on the same page. Absolutely. And that's the key too, is to go into that situation having done your research on them enough to know before you go to that meeting, how you can provide value to them. What can I do for this person? Yeah. What do I know that they're looking for? Or, you know, obviously what am I going to, you know, find out about them from this conversation that would help direct me in ways that, Oh, maybe I have someone to introduce you to. And throughout my time at the chamber. And then even since then, like that's always how I try to, operate in business relationships is I want to make sure that I'm bringing a ton of value to that relationship. So I want to make sure that I'm, you know, helping to introduce you to people that I know would be beneficial for you. I'm helping you make connections because that always comes back around. Yeah. Do you still recommend or do you recommend new docs in the area to go to the strip centers that you're a part of, maybe in the mile radius and introduce yourself and bring some business cards or some flyers. Is that still recommended out there? Well, it's interesting. Like in today's, um, you know, modern society where we are in such a tech driven world, face to face communication, you know, handwritten cards, handshakes and looking people in the eye is kind of become rare. You know, that's kind of a special thing now, (laughs) whereas before it was expected Now, I mean, you'll even in your personal life, you'll move to a new neighborhood and then you may never meet your new neighbors. People don't come over anymore and bring you a pie and say welcome. So I think it is important, um, especially if you're in an office park or if you're in um, a center with multiple other businesses. Absolutely. Like go over there, you know, take a business card. You know, if there are people in your close vicinity or office part that you think could be beneficial relationships from a referral standpoint, you know, take them some cookies and don't have your office staff do it. You do it. Like you be the one to go and say, you know what, we're brand new to the area. Um, Just wanted to come over and introduce myself, tell you, you know, who I am. We're right down at, you know, X, Y, Z. If you ever have any needs for our services, this is what we do you know, here's a nice little treat from us or something to that end. Likewise, if you're in one of those centers and a new business moves in, then take that opportunity to go, you know, kind of be the the local welcome wagon and say hello as well. You know, I've always found it was a little awkward when you walk in because you always have the uh, secretary or the gatekeeper in -hmm. your face. And it's awkward at first. And I'm always kind of like, hey, I'm Dr. Justin. I'm uh, new to the area. Uh, is there any way I can chat with whoever his name on the door was? And it's like, once you break that, like, I'm not just somebody selling you a vacuum cleaner. Also, they're like, <laughs> exactly. okay, let me see if he's or she's available just to say hi real quick. And you'd be surprised. They're just doing their job not to have you interrupt them. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is coming from someone, um, you know, when we had our sports chiropractic office in South Carolina, there was a time where I worked our front desk and I ran the office and I was the gatekeeper. 
So people would come in selling anything from, you know, printer ink to copying services to janitorial service. And it is, it's your job to say, you know, oh, give me some information, I'll pass it along or no, thank you, we're not interested. But if you go bearing gifts, whatever it is, even if, like I said, it's, you know, cookies that you buy and bake yourself that cost you maybe $4, that takes the, the barrier down, that takes their guard down a little bit. And at the same time, if you introduce yourself and say, look, I just I wanted to come and say hello. Um, we're new to the area. I'd love to, you know, get to know some of our neighbors here. And, um, you know, if there's anything I can ever do to be of service to you guys. And when you approach it from that standpoint, I mean, you're right. You'd be amazed at the conversations that can develop from that. And, and obviously not all of them will be. There will be some people that just take your cookies and say, OK, thanks. Have a good uh-huh. day. But. At the same time, maybe they keep that business card. Maybe you're at top of mind when somebody they're talking to, you know, needs something that you have to offer. Definitely. It's a way to follow up later on. Make that mm-hmm. phone call of, hey, did the doctor or whoever enjoy the cookies? And they have to be like, well, they, they got to say something at that point. There's that reciprocity right there. Exactly. I mean, and you can even get clever with it and, you know, be like, hi, I'm, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And um, we dropped by some cookies the other day and, you know, just wanted to call back and follow up and see, you know, do you like chocolate chip? Was that was that a good choice for you? I had some sugar cookies as well. I wasn't sure, you know, kind of make it funny mm-hmm. and tongue in cheek. You never know what kind of response you may get. Fantastic. I definitely want to chat. And I didn't mention this in the front part. You actually do all the groundwork to set up seminars. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of everything in that realm. When we're talking about seminars, I get mm-hmm. overwhelmed because if I'm like, oh, you know what? Philadelphia. I don't know. I've got a following in Philadelphia and I want to put on a eight hour seminar. I don't live there. I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. And I got to find a venue. Are there like websites mm-hmm. that y'all use to so uh, the whole reason that we began Southeast Sports Seminars was for that reason. In my previous life, I was in a great deal of event management and marketing through the chamber world, worked at a marketing agency for a while. And then um, my husband started teaching post-grad courses for CE. And it was his first endeavor with this. And knowing what I knew about the industry, I was like, okay, you know, you have a clinic that, you know, you're working in full time. He also taught at a college. So it was like, when was he as the practitioner going to have time to put all these pieces together? Mm-hmm. Furthermore, most of the, the instructors that we work with, you know, you guys are specialists, like you are healthcare providers, you're amazing rock stars in your field. You've developed an incredible curriculum. Um, you have a lot to offer, but you don't know the first thing about how to send out hotel RFPs, how to make sure that you've negotiated the contract right, how to make, you know, how to get butts and seats, because it's not as easy as just putting it out on Facebook. Hey, I'm going to be in Philadelphia on this date. Come see me, yeah. um, you know, call this number. And unfortunately, within the industry, we see time and time again, just really not so great marketing material going out or really confusing postings going out about CE courses. And and you're right, people are like, well, I don't, what am I going to learn there? Like, why should I do this? And you never want, you know, once you've created this program, you don't ever want to feel like people are only coming to check that CE box. Mm. Now, yes, either way they will come and either way they will spend their money with you. But at the end of the day, most instructors want their information to get out there because they're wanting to elevate the professions they serve. They're wanting to help these providers be better practitioners. 
however that means, whether that's an in insurance and compliance, whether that's an office management or certain techniques and skills and treatments. So the whole reason we started the company we did is because there was a huge need in the market space because no one was serving these instructors and saying, you know, okay, we got it. Like we can take care of that for you. We can do the full marketing strategy. We can help you develop your brand, you know, even down to what should I name this course? How do I make sure that the name is attractive enough, but it really speaks to what we're offering? How do I make sure that I have awesome social presence? How do I make sure that I'm doing my email marketing correctly? How do I balance the right mix of paid advertising versus organic posting versus content on my blog and my podcast? And it can, it can become overwhelming. And if you're trying to do that and you're seeing patients on a regular basis, I mean, Ooh. you know, it gets, it gets pushed to the back burner a lot. And before you know it, years have gone by and you still haven't launched your seminars because you just don't have the time to get it, get it going. Especially if you don't have like a, a system per se, or like you're just brand new. There's a lot of times people will, I've got some lectures and I'm sponsored through this nutritional company or the school has a symposium for the weekend. You can get all your hours and I have about a million vendors to buy stuff from. And we've all been to that seminar where you're like, oh, this is going to be one long weekend because I failed to do something <laughs> I cared about. And so, right. And as a speaker, that's got to be brutal because I can remember I've only done that like once. And it was brutal for me. It was brutal for other people. And I'm pretty sure the speaker was demotivated when you see people kind of just checking their phone and falling asleep and just. Oh, it's awful. And especially when you look at how much time and skill it takes to put on, to put together a course. Um, you know, this isn't something that these guys are just churning out in a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon. Like it takes a lot of going through the research and, and making sure that you reference everything appropriately, making sure that you have enough content and information put together in such a way that it flows well and that it also makes sense to your attendees, making sure that you're employing the right types of learning styles, whether it's a hands-on course or it's lecture-based, but then there's some interactive elements, question and answer, um, attendee presentations, you can go on and on. And then none of that even scratches the surface of what happens on the accreditation side. Because Ooh. likewise, when it comes to uh, the different professions within healthcare, you can't just put a class together and be like, okay, approve me. I'm good to go. Um, there are hoops to jump through and there's red tape and there's regulations. And I mean, it takes us a tremendous amount of both time and money every year to renew our accreditations because we're approved not only for chiropractors, but for physical therapists, for athletic trainers and for licensed massage therapists. So there's different regulations for each one of those professions, although the courses that we offer are applicable to all of those within the physical medicine space. And what people I don't think realize is just for, say, chiropractic, it could be mm -hmm. 50 to $400 per state. And now oh, you're talking yeah. multiple regulatory boards. You can double or triple that. And that's got, I was going to say, that's probably why people choose to just say, okay, I'm in Texas. I only do seminars in Texas. You can fly mm -hmm. to me. But then still, that person's like, well, do you have accreditations for Georgia? You're like, no, and you can submit that on your own. And usually that works. I find that that does work if you individually get the syllabus and the teacher's uh, credentials and all this kind of stuff. You submit it yourself. There might be a small fee, I think, but usually it's not the full fee that the provider would have to provide. 
And that is true. It, it varies by state. There are some states that say absolutely not. Oh. Um, it has to be pre-approved. It has to be approved by an approved provider. So with some states, we even have to apply just to be in a provider in that state. Then you have to apply for each course. My and goodness. some states are very happy to help the provider. You know, if you attend a class, you can self-submit. Some states are not. Some states are just very black and white oh. about it. So, And then some states, unfortunately a lot of their CE is so monopolized by their state association that they discourage their state licensees to go elsewhere. So they make it mandatory, for example, that you have to take a certain number of hours within the state, but only they can approve the hours. So it's, it's, it's an interesting political dynamic in some states, kind of how they handle that. Oklahoma, <coughs> calling you out. Oh, man. Why are they, why do they, I have a license there, but they're they're one. They're the three hundred dollar. Why are they doing that? Is it just money? Um, it's money, and it's wanting to keep everything in state. What does that matter? Just like you know, uh, money. Once again, like if you keep all of your licenses and you make it to where they're required to get courses that are given in the state, and you make the cost of approval for out of state providers so astronomically high the only resource that these providers have for CE becomes their state association. And whoever they're buddies with. Exactly. And likewise, there are some states that still don't allow online hours. Yeah, mine doesn't allow online, which to me, I'm just kind of like, that's still doable. Because if, if you're like in Oklahoma, you might be like, wow, we have a choice of three seminars this year, and I don't care about any of this. Like, yeah. You, don't, you, you may not. You might be like, okay, I just have to sit through these 12 hours. And now I got to go and spend my own money and travel and it won't count, but I really mm-hmm. want to learn this other system. And that's what I have to do. Well, and that's the hard part is that by doing that, the states are really just doing a disservice to their practitioners because they're making it cost prohibitive for them to advance their learning. Like you should be able to take the CE courses that you want to take that are going to make you a better doctor, a better diagnostician, um, better at different treatments, different techniques, different approaches. Like that is the type of education that you should be able to craft for yourself. You shouldn't have to kind of be restricted to whatever the state association, whoever they bring through on their speaker circuit. For example, that's one of our main objectives moving forward is to help provide some resources for those state associations through a speaker's bureau of evidence-based practitioners that have put together really great curriculum so that we can start providing that as a resource for state and national associations so that we can kind of raise the bar a little bit on the education that's being offered there. Because, you know, a lot of times these states have such small staffs that they, they use the same people year after year after year, or they just use the people that their sponsors tell them to because that's that's all they know to do. And I can see a three or four hour mandatory in-state. That way they cover like in our state, we're not doing $6,000 prepays anymore. And if y'all are doing it, y'all need to stop. So there's a way to mm-hmm. rally the troops. This is what we expect. This is where we're going. And so that's just not going to happen with emails and phone calls and those types of things and local meetings yeah. that nobody wants to attend. Mm-hmm. I can see that being important. It, it just gets everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. But like you said, whenever you, you get stuck taking the same people 
or something that you just have no interest in that just kind of gets kind of old. And not to just call out Oklahoma, it's just one of the states that I know that <laughs> yeah, does that. Because there's lots of other states like that. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. I do like that idea of having some sort of board. Like here's here's what we do. And here's our 15 speakers and our different, uh, almost like kind of like an online catalog. of. That's exactly what it will be. So it's a speakers bureau, much like they have in a number of different professions. There's just never been one that's been put together for chiropractic or even within kind of the, the realm that we work within with uh, physical therapists, athletic trainers, massage therapists as well. Like So this won't just be instructors that teach for factor or just instructors that teach for courses that we offer. But these are instructors that, you know, have provided us with an application with information about where they have spoken at before, the type of curriculum they offer. It'll be a resource so that if I'm, you know, Susie, you working at a state association, I can go online, I can look at the profiles of all of these different people and I can say, okay, I want to find who is speaking about nutrition. So I go to the nutrition tab and it pulls up, you know, four or five different speakers. And then I can look through and see the different topics they speak on, how long their presentations are. You know, most of them will have a variety from one hour to four hours, some of them eight hours or more. I'll be able to watch a short video of them teaching so that I can kind of see, you know, are they well spoken? You know, what is their stage presence like? Are they engaging the audience at all? Mm. Um, Because all of that just provides them with a great resource. And then for our purposes, it just helps once again, elevate the profession, like put better education out there, give better opportunities to doctors to get really great quality content and information that's going to help them in their practice. Well, I can tell you, I was advertising for a, a cupping class, you know, I'm working in China, it's stuff that we do all the time. So I was like, you know what, people tell you, sell it before you make it. So that's what I did. And I did not sell it well. So that has not been a creative course yet. But I was like, you know, my sales pitch was kind of, I'm in China. You want to learn how to do cupping? Boom. I'm going to do an interview. Style. I'm your guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to interview doctors who do this literally day in and day out in the source of the whole mecca of cupping. And, yeah. you know, it's a whole process to market and, and do the whole behind the scenes stuff to make something valuable. And that's just like, I was like, no, I'm just putting a filler out there. I'm not trying to spend thousands of dollars to figure it out. So when you are creating this, is there a website yet that people can go to? Or is it still in the beginning stages where they can't go anywhere to find out more information? It's still in the beginning stages now. It will be housed at sports-seminars.com. Right now, we're just kind of have it in the back end working in development, just making sure that it works right in terms of the functionality that people can easily find what they need to find where they need to go and then likewise um, we will have a forward-facing form for doctors that have developed curriculum that want to be a part of the bureau so if you wanted to have a listing on here if you wanted to have an opportunity to be on the list then that would be something as well that they would be able to sign up for okay and episode 85 is Todd Riddle with Factor and sports seminars and all that type of stuff. So if you're looking for like kind of the other side of what we're talking about, we interviewed him a couple weeks ago. All right. I think we covered that pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Perfect. That's stuff I could talk about forever though. So Yeah, I'm 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 uh, trying to be like, okay, it's not just about Justin's what he's what he's interested in there, because there's <laughs> I'm sure there's questions. I interviewed somebody the other day, plastic surgeon, and afterwards I was like, well wait. 
I was like, dang, I forgot to ask a couple. Like, once you get the procedure, is there any go- way going back? He'd be like, no, this was horrible. There's no, is there a way to reverse it? You know, I forgot to ask those types of questions. I was like, well, that's fine. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. You'll have to do a follow-up. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's switch gears to 2018. What are some things that maybe we should not be doing on social media marketing? And everybody asks, what should we do? Do you happen to have a what not to do? Uh, be inconsistent. That's, that's the biggest struggle that I think a lot of business owners deal with when it comes to social media. They'll launch a page. They'll launch all of them. So they'll, you know, I'm going to get my Twitter going, my Facebook going, my Instagram going, my LinkedIn business profiles. I'm going to get a Pinterest page. And then they cannot manage them all. So they don't do any of them well. And they'll post like every three months when they remind their front office staff, hey, we haven't posted in a while. Can you put something out? So uh, the biggest thing is just, you know, don't spread yourself too thin. That would be my first piece of advice. Like find one or two channels that you really know well and you feel comfortable with and start with those and be consistent. What's consistent? And by consistency, um, have a schedule, like say, okay, every Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to post to Facebook every Monday and Wednesday, I'm going to post to Twitter or Instagram, whichever one, and then plan out your content so that you know what you're going to post. So for example, if you have a blog, a blog post can be repurposed on multiple channels in multiple different ways. And there's actually a lot of tools and resources out there that can help you automate that. But that one blog post can be re-spliced for three to four different posts um, each month. And you can do different posts each month off of one blog post. So don't feel the need to post you know, six or seven times a day to start with. Just make sure you post once. And if that means that on your Sunday afternoon when you're planning for your week, you sit down with an app like um, Buffer or Hootsuite, CoSchedule, which is the one that, that we really love, and you sit down and plan out for the week and go ahead and schedule those posts out, do it. Likewise, Facebook will let you post in advance without even having another tool. So you can do that, you know, just directly. As Facebook. a business page. Mm-hmm. As a business page. So that would be the first piece of advice. Um, the second thing is just to try to, you know, once again, maintain that consistency and that consistent voice. You know, it's interesting where you'll see a page where, you know, they posted for Valentine's Day but then they didn't post again until Mother's Day. And then they'll go for a period where they'll Mm. post every day for like a month and then they'll just completely drop off. And if people aren't seeing you and they're not, they're not hearing from you, then, you know, you're not, you're not being remembered. You're not top of mind and you're not visible on social. So those would be kind of the two big things is just, you know, start small, start with what's manageable and what you feel comfortable with and be really consistent with it. I had found, I think it was like 101 quotes or something like that mm-hmm. that were pretty good. <laughs> and so I carry my own branding. And I know you do some branding as well as far as, I don't so much like probably logo design, I think, but more of the whole the whole picture. And we can talk about that. So I took my little logo and I would put a um, put the quote on top of it. And I every, I don't know, it was like Motivation Monday, I think I called it. And every Monday, I just re- on Facebook, did it for like whatever the limit was, five months. Every Monday, I just pre-did it, didn't have to think about it. Yeah, it took a couple of hours on a Sunday or something. But then I was good for five months. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, this is fantastic. And I don't know if people really care about my motivational quotes. But it was to me, it was like you said, it was something consistent and something that people could kind of look forward to if they wanted to 
to be engaged in my yeah. brand. And I heard um, I use this thing called missing letter. Yes, I do too. It, mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. do? Come yeah. on. So that's a tool that essentially allows you to take your blog and repurpose it for a full year's worth of posts. So you create a graphic on something like Canva or WordSwag. Those are two of my favorites. Canva is the one that's a little more comprehensive and what it allows you to do. But you create a graphic that represents your blog. It can be a quote card. You can create a few of them for that one blog post. Missing letter automatically pulls it from your RSS feed with your blog. And then you just go in and approve the text to make sure that you add in hashtags as needed and then just hit okay. And then for an entire year on a set schedule, it will post to your Facebook, your Twitter. Everywhere. I think, I think your LinkedIn too. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it puts content out there for you and then you'd be amazed. Like we posted uh, one article to our blog, which was about rice, the whole um, rice protocol for injury. And it was a, it was an art. It was an important article because it was the guy that developed the rice protocol essentially coming back and saying, no, you shouldn't do that now. Here's why. And then he supported it with research. So it was somewhat controversial because especially in the sports world, you know, you, you've heard that for so many years and then all of a sudden the guy that recommended it originally says, no, don't do that. But that was like on the boards. Well, and we have that set on missing letter. It goes out probably at least once a month. And every single time it is shared multiple times, it is one of the highest traffic pieces of content that we put out there consistently through our social media. And even though people, you know, maybe the the first group of people saw it once, but then there's new people that will see it the next month. So because of the changing algorithms and the number of people that may or may not be happening upon your content that may or may not see it, it doesn't hurt to have repurposed content going out on a consistent basis because at least you're being consistent at least you're putting something out there even if you're amazing Mm -hmm. and people share the mess out of it you're still maybe max 20 percent of your your list would even see oh absolutely absolutely i mean it is amazingly dismal like how many people can see I, i saw somebody do a post same picture brand new baby you know a brand new baby's gonna get some likes mm-hmm. facebook versus instagram I mean, it was maybe 100 likes or something on Facebook. It was 10,000 likes on on Instagram. And it just tells you the difference of interaction per platform. I was even looking at like LeBron James the other day. He's got 20 million people. I'm probably way off. And a million people liked his photo. I was like, a million people. And then I looked at how many people he had. And I was like, eh, he's still covering around 10 or 12% of his population that actually liked it. I was like, it's just a numbers game. I was like, he's still not in more. He's not quote better than we are. He's just, he still has that 10% range, which I was kind of thought was pretty funny. Well, and likewise, know your medium. So know that Instagram is photos, graphics, images, and quote cards and video. That's Instagram. Instagram is not a place where you can have links, you know, within your text it's a place where you really want to use hashtags and a lot of them. And you can actually research which hashtags are trending. You know, with the resource that we have that's called the Internet and Google, there's no way that you should not be able to learn very quickly and easily how to use these mediums appropriately. Just do your homework first before you step off that cliff and make sure that you can commit the time that's needed to really, you know, continue to, you know, invest in it. I saw a website displaypurposes.com and 
I've, I'm always looking for like a hashtag because I felt like I kept using the same ones over again. And after a while, I was like, I think I'm getting burned out using these. Maybe nobody else is. But I was like, let me broaden my finger scope there. And that one's kind of cool is because it'll do trending forever. Like you put in a couple of hashtags that you think are cool mm-hmm. and then it'll break out other ones that are similar. And sometimes you put one and I'm like, what? You didn't give me any responses. I was like, oh, maybe nobody follows this hashtag much. So I switch it and then all of a sudden they'll give you 30 or however many you want of, you know, you pick six, they'll populate 30 of the popular ones and then you can just copy and paste that. And now you got some fresh ideas that you may not have thought of, especially for like I was looking at like a pregnancy picture. I was like, okay, mommy to be, mummy to be. And there's so many like variations and so many things. I was like, wow, I've just reached a lot of different people this way. Well, and it's interesting, so. like when hashtags first came out, I think a lot of people were just going crazy making up their own hashtags and they were like mm-hmm. full sentences long and they were only for that <laughs> one particular post. And, you know, clearly yeah. that's not effective because, you know, nobody's going to look up, you know, hashtag, why does my back hurt like this? I have low back pain. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that is just not the way it works. But hashtags like low back pain, back pain, hashtag pain, hashtag you know, my back hurts. Who knows? Like you can do the research, like you said, with, uh, there's tons of tools out there like that and then see what's trending. And even from your phone on Instagram, you can, you know, type in from the search bar, search for hashtags. And then likewise, you can follow them yourself. So if there are ones in your industry that you would like to use in your posts, follow them all. Follow them all so you can see how other people are utilizing them. Likewise, that will give you a heads up if, that hashtag is not appropriate for you because if you search it and there's 10,000 posts, but they have nothing to do with anything within the realm of what you have to offer or what you want people finding you for, then maybe that's not the best option. What do you recommend a mix of like the million of hashtags with the same word? Or do you like the 100,000 to 300,000 range? Um, Definitely more than 100,000 to 300,000 range, but it's, post that is not on me it's like a holiday post or a timely post that you want to get out there to the masses then you can use one of those really high trending hashtags i say it's always best to kind of find your niche and I think that's true in most anything when it comes to finding your ideal patients your ideal customers your ideal clients you want to try to find your niche of the people that you serve best the people that either want your services most or respond best when they're they're receiving your services so you know don't ever be afraid to um kind of reach out within those niches to try to find those specific hashtags as well one little trick that i do you know every week i have to put out an episode i'll go to their instagram or facebook or twitter or whatever and look for the hashtags that they use on some of their photos mm-hmm. and that way i can capture whatever trends and and niches that they're trying to capture and it helps i think uh relate to whatever they're doing it puts them in puts you in their feed into their social circle beyond just tagging their name on it so you can do it for you know next month if they tag it and somebody clicks it they can see oh who was this podcast episode the other day absolutely and that kind of goes back to what we were speaking about with earlier when it comes to building your community and your network you know, reach out on social media and start following and start engaging with people in your community that are influencers within your space. So for example, if you are a sports doc and you work with a lot of runners, 
you know, why not reach out to local running groups and start following their pages, start seeing the kind of hashtag they're using, start seeing the things they're posting about, and then comment on them. You know, social media is a two-way conversation. So, you know, the quickest way to have people either unlike your page or just stop paying attention and stop liking you, which essentially Facebook will say, oh, they don't like what you have to offer, so I'm not going to show them any of your content anymore. But the best way to do that is to just only put out things to promote yourself. But social is a two-way conversation, so you have to do a great deal of listening. You know, find those influencers in your community on social media, follow them, like them, comment back, and develop those relationships online as well. Say on Facebook, follow some people that we like, or maybe you put out something on your personal page and like, wow, that was a really good article. Should I just share that? Or is it too much competition to share the other chiropractor's article that he wrote? No, I think it's great to share and repurpose content because it helps that person boost the visibility of their posts. They're going to see some more traffic off of that. And, you know, if it's something that you agree with and it really resonates with you, I don't think there's anything wrong with sharing that and maybe even commenting back and saying, nice article, Doc. This is great. Okay. Because I'm thinking, don't reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. Yes, somebody else is going to get some extra shares and visibility because you shared it onto your network. But ultimately, you're sharing a good article to your tribe of people and followers or past patients or whatever. Absolutely. So I think that's a win. Well, companies like, for example, most of the content that we put out in terms of our blog, um, we do a biweekly e-newsletter. And in that e-newsletter, we have a number of different blog posts and articles that are practitioner-focused. But then we also always feature one that is patient focused. So we give you a graphic and a blog post that you can then share with your audience because we know it's hard sometimes to come up with content. And I think especially when you are a specialist and you're a very highly educated person, sometimes when you sit down to write, you get a bit overwhelmed with the science behind what you're trying to say or explain instead of remembering that when it comes to the public, you want to be writing at a sixth grade reading level. So you want to make sure that you're providing the right type of content for patients and people in your community, as opposed to writing peer to peer, because that's obviously a very different voice. That's a very different level of understanding and, you know, even a different way that you would use medical terminology and things like that. Your website should be a place, um, and even your social media channel should be a place where your patients um, and people that, that don't even necessarily know you in your community but are potential patients will see that as a resource and content that they can actually understand. Okay. So we're saying maybe you feel like, doctor, that if you're going to talk about some topic about headaches, you want to cite 15 studies because for some reason you feel like that's the only way that <laughs> yes. somebody will understand and you, you've proven it by the research. But in reality, you don't have to probably put any research at all or maybe just one just to kind of like have some kind of social proof. But in reality, just write the article like you're just probably going to explain it to a patient so that they understand it. They're not necessarily looking for, you know, six citations. Exactly. Because you don't do that in a patient visit. You don't sit someone down and say, okay, you know, you have you know, cervical radiculopathy. This means that the trigeminal thing of the, blah, 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 blah. You don't just take them in the room and essentially vomit medical terminology on them and then pull out your journals and start going through yeah. the pages and say, you know, we'll see here, uh, you know, John Doe, John Doe et al. Um, from the 2000, yeah. you don't do that. So 
your website and your social media needs to be conversational language. It needs to be something that they can look at as if you as a person are speaking to them as a person. Now, that being said, obviously, it's a great opportunity for you to educate them on things that they don't understand because the majority of patients come to you not because they know exactly what they have and exactly what caused it and they just need you to fix it. They come to you because they are in pain or they're not moving well and they need help. Like they need, uh, you know, uh, um, some results that you can provide them. They need you to help get them feeling better again. But likewise, as we were talking about earlier, people always love to hear about themselves. How many patients have you had come in that have already, you know, diagnosed themselves on WebMD after researching for four days, you know, why I have this particular pain in this particular place when I breathe in or when I move this way. So they're always going to look to you to be that resource to educate them. And likewise, from an SEO perspective, from a searchability perspective and a visibility perspective online, it's helpful when you have content on your site that speaks on their level in language they can understand. And when you can take a very complex condition or diagnosis and be able to break it down to something simple, they're, they're like, okay, I get it, I understand. You know, use analogies, use metaphors, use pictures, use videos, diagram. Yeah, like all of that stuff is really powerful. Jessica, I, I don't like to write. I'm not good at it. I don't know how to put it's, it's, or it's, whom, whom, or whom. <laughs> I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. But can I go to Fiverr and I don't expect them to come up with a medical article, but I could could I say, hey, hey, I want to find someone who can write up a what's the basics of say the backswing of a golfer? You know, they do the research, they write it up for me, and then could I just take that, read it, and then kind of make it sound more like, you know, tweak it so it sounds like I wrote it a little bit. And then that way I have like a piece of content marketing that could explain, I don't know what a golf swing is. And maybe just throw a paragraph in there. Like, and that's why you need a deltoid. (laughs) (laughs) The end. Um, I think the better approach to that, since you are the content expert in this field, it's very easy to hire a copywriter to write about things that the general public knows and understands. That's easy. And not plagiarized. Exactly. That's very easy to do. But to find a copywriter that has the skill set, especially on Fiverr, which Fiverr can be a great resource, don't get me wrong, but to find someone that understands and can do the, I mean, because you're you're going to pay them, you're gonna pay them the time to do the research. You're gonna pay them Mm -hmm. for the skill and the knowledge to put that research together in a way that makes sense. And honestly, like every single day, you're having to take complex concepts and explain them to your patients in that exam room. You are, every single day, multiple times a day. I'm sure you have conversations with your spouse at home, those of you that aren't married to healthcare practitioners. Lord knows we have them in my house where I'm like, oh, this hurts. What did I do? Why did I do this? And and my husband has to sit down and explain it to me, you know, with normal human words that are not <laughs> from a medical terminology. Um, but when it comes to trying to find a copywriter, especially when you're going to pay $25 on Fiverr, um, to do that research and be able to to break it down in such a way that makes sense to the end consumer, your better strategy would be for you to take whatever concept it is, you break it down, even if it's just bullet points in a piece of paper. So for example, with your golf swing analogy, you know, have at the top of the page, you know, explaining the backswing. 
and then go through the different biomechanics involved. Maybe your first draft, you have a lot of bullet points that are more sciencey and technical. Look at it again and say, okay, I, I used a lot of technical terms in here. How can I explain this in a way that makes sense to someone that doesn't understand biomechanics? How can I make sure to emphasize the things I need to? And once again, this is where analogies and metaphors really come into play and can really paint a great picture for whatever that concept is you're trying to explain. Then you can send a draft like that to a professional that can put together a blog post and make it sound really nice, but they're using your content. Because if you're and throw a call to action in there. Exactly. They'll throw the calls to action in there. You absolutely need to have a call to action and lead gen on every single page in your website, including your blog posts. Jessica, what's a call to action? So a call to action is just essentially asking someone to do something. So um, you know, if you really love this article and you'd like to learn more about how to improve your golf swing, click here. And then that click here needs to go to some type of lead generation for you. So some type of form they fill out, some type of something where you capture their information. Likewise. So not just call me. Yes. But yes. Not just call find me. some way to get their email somehow. Online. Um, there are really great tools out there. Um, one that we use and love is called Intercom. And it essentially is a live chat feature button that you put on your homepage. Every single healthcare provider should have something like this on their homepage because people have questions. And in 2018, people expect to be able to pull up your website on their cell phone, click a button and chat with you to say, Hey, I have Cigna insurance. Do you guys take Cigna? Or, um, you know, I heard, you know, chiropractors always make you come one time a week for the rest of your life. Is that how you guys do things in your practice? Or, you know, I'm really scared of being adjusted. I've never been adjusted before. Does it hurt? You never know what type of questions you'll get. But once you open that door and have that chat feature on your website, it opens up an opportunity for dialogue. And then most of them also come with autoresponders that will try to get that person's email information rather quickly as well, especially if they write you after hours because you can't be available 24 seven, um, nor should you necessarily be. But it gives opportunities for them to capture that person's information so you can follow back up later. Okay, that's great. Cause that was, that was one of the follow-up questions or statements was gonna be definitely find one when you're looking at different companies. After hours, it asks for your email so that you can get back to them. And then I'll, can you find some that says, okay, here's the top 10 questions people always ask and it just sends them a reply as if you just talk to them, Absolutely. but then you get notified that somebody said, hey, Absolutely. so that you could. With Intercom, you can set it up to have um, certain responses based upon different keywords that they may use. So let's say, you know, people are going to ask about insurance. If the person uses the word insurance, then you can send them to the, the chat bot Essentially, we'll give whatever reply you'd like, and then it can also maybe send them to a page on your website where you explain the insurances that you do take or how that process works in your office. Likewise, if they have questions about directions, you can have it give an autoresponder and then direct them to a page on your website that has that information. So it does give you the ability to customize it. And then likewise, it has a mobile app. If someone does write me at 2 a.m. because we have an international company, so I have people from all over the world that may contact us in the middle of the night here, I can wake up in the morning and see, okay, you know, someone from Malaysia wrote in and asked a question 
at 2 a.m. My autoresponder said, you know, you've reached us after hours. The Southeast sports team um, will contact you as soon as they return to the office. Can you please give us your email address so we can follow up? Then I have that person's email address and I can follow back up first thing the next morning. And what I think people don't get overwhelmed is make it really manual Mm -hmm. for the first month that you've had it where you are there. The only automation you have is after hours, give me your email. But then you just have somebody man it. Make sure they answer the question. So after like a month, you can say, okay, here are the top five or six questions everybody asks. Or if you're lucky, the company that you use might already have like a template of, hey, as a doctor's office, here's the top 10 questions that we've already figured out from our past clients. Make sure you answer these before you do anything else. Um, the point is, don't be overwhelmed. If you don't know what to ask or what to automate, give it a month and you can figure it out. So that way you can save your staff a lot of time the following mm-hmm. month and from then on. Well, and your office staff is going to be a great resource for that. The person that answers your phone is going to be able to give you a list of five to 10 questions that they get on a regular basis. But I like to think about it this way, like your website is literally the front page of your business online. So how nice would it be if you could sit back and know that people you will actually get in touch with or know who's coming to your website? Because without any type Mm. of lead generation on there, you don't know. You can have thousands of visits a day, but you have no idea who it was. They never engaged with you. Maybe some people called, maybe some people didn't. But if you have that chat feature, you're opening up another opportunity. You know, people don't like to submit contact us forms anymore because you don't ever hear back from people or you just hit a, you know, you fill out a contact us form and it goes to that person via email. But then you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to hear from them for at least a day or two. Um, But -hmm. with chat, like, you know, somebody's going to get your, and, and like with ours, like my face pops up as soon as you come on my website and says, Hey, do you have any questions? You know, look around, let us know if you need anything. And sometimes people will just write in and be like, no, I'm good. Or I'm just looking at your event schedule. Like they, they respond. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So it's cool because then I can see, okay, like this person's coming to me from San Diego. It usually will automatically at least get geographically where they're located. And then obviously they have to put in their email address. So I don't get everyone's email address, but I at least can look at trends and traffic. So I can know if people are, are visiting my site from a certain area, which can be important, um, sure. especially if you have multiple offices, you know, in a, a large geographic area. Well, I know I was on a magic jack the other day cause I use it for my voice IP to call people in America. And I was on their website and I was like, dude, you have a contact us. You have it teased that we could talk to a live person. And I'm like, where's the chat button? <laughs> and then I was getting upset because they were hiding it. And then just to find a contact information, they were trying to upsell you on customer service. Like that was their upsell. No, no, I was no, like, no. oh, it took me about 20 minutes to find a phone number to call them. And I was like, could you just have a live chat, please? Like, this question's not that difficult, but I just don't know what the answer is because it doesn't say it on your FAQ. Well, and people do come to expect that, you know, and likewise, these live chats um, with, with tools like Intercom, I know Zendesk has another one. They also can house your FAQ in, in their, you know, their section of your site. So you can have it so that if people try to ask questions that maybe are not part of the keywords you have set, that it kicks them over into an FAQ section so that if you know, you do have a larger library of different questions and concerns that you want to address. You can direct them there as well. Do you use um, Zingit or any other kind of company to text message your patients, whether it's automatic or a patient rem- uh, appointment reminders or anything like that? 
Have you ventured into that yet? I think those are really powerful. Um, we currently, we don't have a practice currently. So right now we're not That's utilizing true. any kind of technology like that. But that being said, when we do launch another practice, that will definitely be a, a huge component of that. Because I think you have to meet people where they are. Um, another tool, and it's, it's actually a free tool that a lot of people don't realize, Facebook Messenger will allow you to put um, a, a live chat messenger bot on your website. So oh. people can opt in there. And then we use a tool called MiniChat, which is also free up to a certain number of users, I believe, um, to connect to your Facebook page. So that if people message you through your Facebook page, then they're automatically opted into MiniChat. So you can then go back and... Um, send them broadcast messages. So for instance, if you are planning a ladies night out or some type of event at your office and you want to let everyone on your list know, you can send out a notification through mini chat and that messages is all, message it, sends a message to all of them on Facebook, which once again is just kind of meeting people where they are. But the caveat I've heard is the person has to have interacted with your messenger. You can't just spam yes. your 2,000 Facebook business page fans, they have to message you first. And then isn't there like a time frame, perhaps to be able to send like a link or something? Well, yes. So yes. So with mini chat, for example, like they have to message you first. And from there, mm -hmm. you have the ability that essentially is their opt in. Um, and you can okay. set it up different ways. Some systems require that you set up a double opt in, like if you're going to upload a, a list of cell phone numbers or something like that to an SMS service that allows you to tech to do broadcast texts, you more than oh, likely okay. are going to have to do a double opt-in. It's going to send them a text to their phone saying, Hey, XYZ chiropractic, you know, would like to send you text message notifications, you know, reply yes to opt-in reply no to opt out. So you always want to be careful about being compliant when it comes to things like that, because it can certainly get you in a lot of trouble and, you know, you don't want to get blacklisted and have your entire, you know, Facebook account closed or um, oftentimes when it comes to email marketing, if you get your email address blacklisted, it's really hard to get to the point where any emails get through to anybody anymore. And it's hard to tell if you did or not sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Do you do anything with Pinterest? Yes. So Pinterest can be an interesting medium. And obviously the main demographic on Pinterest traditionally was always women. Um, but now more and more men are also getting on Pinterest as well. Pinterest is really great, especially for fitness enthusiasts, for people that are very health conscious when it comes to nutrition and they're looking for recipes, healthy, clean eating, things like that. Pinterest is a really cool place where you can go very deep down a rabbit hole. Um, but it's also a great place where you can essentially repurpose other people's content for your audience because with a click of a button. Exactly. Like you can share things that you found that were impactful, things that um, you can look at different exercises that are that are on Pinterest that other people have pinned. And if those are things that you would recommend to your patients, that's something you can put on your boards. And then people from all over will pick them up from you and, and reshare them and et cetera. So Pinterest is really effective for recipes, especially. I cannot tell you the number of women I know that are busy moms like me, that Pinterest becomes like the holy grail of recipe books because we, we don't have Betty Crocker cookbooks these days. Like we don't have a bookshelf 
where I go, you know, dust off the cookbook and flip to my favorite page for a recipe. We look online now. And Pinterest has become a really great resource for that because you can literally type in any type of meat, vegetable, casserole, you know, search a term, and you're going to get a number of different recipes that come up from that. What a picture. Exactly. So you'll know if you mess it up. <laughs> I know so many people that have cookbooks and they just, oh, I don't know what to cook. You've got six cookbooks. Stop collecting them and use yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, like I, I don't even think to look in one anymore. I have cookbooks that I've had for years, but it's like, why would I want to take 20 minutes flipping through pages when I could go to Pinterest and type in weeknight casseroles or keto dinners, you know, crock pot. Yeah, yeah. Anything. And they'll give me a step-by-step with pictures, different substitutions I can use. And then uh, I'll also get a picture that tells me, you know, all the different conversions for dry to liquid measuring and you name it, it's on there. No kidding. Because I've, I've looked at a couple where it's like replace oil with applesauce. And there's like, I didn't realize there were so many substitutes that you could to try to make something healthy. Just on the topic, since we're chatting about it, if people are into like health and stuff, I want to say it's allrecipes.com or one of those. You can actually, you know, sometimes you want to try a new recipe and you're like, oh, I don't have turmeric. You know, you don't have basil. You don't have these random spices and you go to the store and you're like, dude, it's $12 for a bottle? (laughs) Gracious. Wow. I don't think I really want to buy this meal. I could just go out to the Indian restaurant and, and cook it and eat it. But they can set it up to where if you bought a spice, you can then look at recipes just based on that spice. Wow. So now you may be overkill, but at least you know you can you can cook more than one meal for the week with that flavor profile and not feel like you wasted all this money on a spice. That's awesome. Well, and that's really good too. Like that's where Pinterest has become a big resource as well in sites like All Recipes is that if you have a food sensitivity, if you have you know, something that you have to exclude from your diet, like eggs or dairy, like the big things that kind of tend to be in everything. Mm-hmm. It's really nice to have a resource that you can look to to say, okay, what's a substitution? What are some recipes that don't involve this ingredient or that deal with this sensitivity? So no, I think that's a, that's a, we've come a long way when it comes to how we prepare meals these days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is true. Is there something that you wanted to definitely chat about that we haven't talked about yet to kind of promote yourself? What I, and, and I would just love to know, and maybe this is a question you can pose to your listeners. I would love to know how docs are currently choosing um, or finding CE courses right now. Like, is it primarily word of mouth? Is it something that people hear from other colleagues about? And then they're like, well, I have to do this. Do they see it on social? Do they look to their, you know, the school they graduated from? Like, I'm, I'm always curious to see, you know, how practitioners are choosing and likewise, what they're basing those decisions off of. Like, is it the couple of paragraphs description? Is it based on, you know, who is teaching the class? That's always great data mining that I'm constantly doing just to make sure that with every offering we put out that we're, you know, hitting the mark. So y'all, whenever she gives you the website again or her email uh, if you would like to respond to her, definitely give her that information. I can answer it from my personal perspective. If yeah, you'd like. that would be great. For instance, the forward episode 79, part of a Facebook group, found out they had a seminar. I was able to actually fly out there for that and a wedding. So I went, didn't really know what to expect so much, but I was excited to go. Now that I've gone, 
now that I have several other seminars that I can take because of that one seminar, because we kind of got like a taste for what they were. Generally, for a long time, I was taking like a, an activator seminar because it was a technique that I enjoyed and I wanted to stay on their website as a marketing tool. So you had to go to the seminars. So for a couple of years, I would do their seminars and then I would switch up to, okay, I want to learn a different technique. So of course, there's that seminar. And sometimes they break them down into like extremity or spine. And then I'm like, well, what do I care most about? That's the location that I would go to. But online, for like Louisiana, we don't allow online credits. But because of my situation, I'm able to petition them to allow mm-hmm. it. And then I was like, okay, well, where can I go to find classes that they'll approve of? Because there's a lot of trash online classes. So one of the things I did was like, like you said, I pulled my friends. I was like, hey, has anybody done any online classes? And so once I found out like these are the websites that they did, I was able to uh, just communicate with the board and say, hey, I picked a class that I thought I would like from a couple of different websites. And I said, hey, would you guys approve these? And then they just let me know like, yes, we'd approve this or no, we wouldn't. So I've taken a lot of MRI classes because I needed them. And this one company, they do a really good job and they were dual certified. Like that was the key for me was where do you have your, what school is it from? Mm-hmm. You know, who approved it? And then they also had like medical doctor schools approve it as well. Nice. So I think that to me, I think that was what allowed them to say, yes, we'll take this because it's dual accredited. We know what you're going to get. There's a lot of hours. It was like 12 hours online, 24 hours classes. So it was wow. a lot of information, not just one hour. Here's your calcium deficiency checklist. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of it kind of was word of mouth because I didn't even know what factor was until mm-hmm. – a month ago, I was like, I don't know what that is. So that's kind of crazy. It's been there a while. It's got a, I mean, I was, I looked at the website, like, there's so many seminars. I was like, my goodness, yeah. every weekend. So kudos to you for figuring that out. Well, and, and likewise, you know, I always am curious about how you do wade through the class, like what helps you decide that a class, and like you said, you asked your friends, because sometimes there are some really crummy classes out there especially in the online space, unfortunately, or there are ones that the main purpose of the class is just to sell you what they're trying to sell you. Like we don't really want to teach anything. We want you to, we want to teach you how to use our stuff so you can buy our stuff as opposed to providing education for the sake of, you know what, like, and that's how we do things in our factor course. Like, do we have instruments? Absolutely. Do we have floss? Yes, of course. But is that a requirement of the course? Not at all. Like you can bring your own instruments to class if you have some that you love. You know, if you prefer to use your hands, you can do the factor rehab system with just your hands. You can do it with the activator. You can do it with, you know, cold laser and shockwave. You can do it with acupressure or I'm sorry, acupuncture or dry needling. There's a variety of different tools that you can use as part of the system. So we've always been one that have valued education above just peddling products because unfortunately, like you don't ever want to go to a class and then halfway through you're like, okay, I haven't learned anything. And they sold me a bag of goods. Like this isn't at all what I expected. And a lot of times I don't even know who these speakers are. Mm -hmm. Like if you had asked me a month ago who Leonard Fay was, I'd be like, I don't know who that guy is. Yeah. And he's been around the profession forever. So it's not one of those names where you're like, you should have known who that guy was. You're like, well, in my school, in the seminars that I ran with, I don't know who this guy is. And people are probably listening like, I don't know who that guy is either. But in the chiropractic realm, he's been kind of a pioneer apparently mm-hmm. for like motion palpation and some different things. And uh, so I guess a lot of times like I don't know who the name is. So I have to rely on what is his credentials or her credentials? What is the description? 
And then there's certain names that we do see pop up over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then you have a bad taste in your mouth because you're like, I don't like this guy. He sold himself out to uh, anybody who wants to pay yeah. him. He'll, he'll endorse. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really want to hear anything he has to say mm-hmm. anymore. But he's always on the speaking circuit or she's on the speaking circuit. Yeah. Um, that's how I kind of No, absolutely. It. And that was what yeah. was so fun about what we were able to do with Forward was we literally wanted to create um, a chiropractic uh, conference that was not like what you typically attended. Like we wanted, you know, not only for it to be something fun and engaging and really community building, but from an education perspective, we wanted to provide you with a variety of different courses, a variety of different, you know, uh, topics such as, you know, not only just, you know, technique and clinical skills, but then also when it came to, you know, clinical decision-making and compliance and, and insurance and radiology and, we wanted to provide a smattering of different things, but at the mm-hmm. same time, not do them in the traditional model where some conferences have done that in the past where, you know, he's going to get up on stage. He's going to give you a sales pitch on his books or his DVDs or his product or his, his seminars for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And you're going to walk away and be like, wow, okay. All I learned about was his seminars. Like I didn't really learn anything I can use on Monday morning with my patients. Like why did I waste my time on that? And I think that's the, the, the that take-home point is it could be a sales pitch at the mm-hmm. end, but you got to give me something to where I can do something on Monday with this. Well, yeah, at the end of the day, like you're there to to learn something. So if yeah. if the instructor is not providing you with that, then that's definitely a, a big disservice. And that was what was so cool about you know forward is that we had some instructors that were seasoned that had spoken at multiple events. We had some instructors that were brand new, and this was not something that they had done very often, but they put so much time and effort and heart and soul into putting together presentations for the sake of teaching and for the sake of really elevating the professionals that attended. And the reason why we're mentioning forward is because she was, I don't know if you were almost the one, one lady show <laughs> putting this all together. I know you have a team behind you, but that was, that was my first experience of what you can do. And I was like, wow, this is pretty impressive because I don't know how to do this kind of stuff. So to me, it was impressive to like pull it all together. And, you know, we had hiccups. They had hiccups there. Oh, like, of course. Things weren't printed on time. And, <laughs> of course. You know, <laughs> and we didn't realize that until later on. And you're like, wow, this was a really nice badge y'all guys got. I was like, I don't know what happened, but oh, yes. these things yeah, happened. U- UPS was not my friend for a few days there. Um, but no, like <laughs> I, I certainly cannot take all of the credit for that. I mean, we had an amazing team of students at Cleveland that hosted us and that were right there in the trenches with us, you know, in the kitchen, you know, chopping chicken and getting things ready for when we had uh, food that we were rolling out and doing Costco runs with us. And it was, I've never been a part of an event before where I had attendees coming up and saying, what can I do to help? Is there anything I can do? I had so many volunteers that worked registration. You know, we had volunteers that their job was to go and talk to the exhibitors and make sure that they had everything they need, that they were happy, that they were having a good show and they were driving traffic in their direction. So what was unique about this event was just that amazing group of people that came together to put this together. So that certainly was not a a one woman show or one man show. Like it was a community that came together that genuinely cared about making a really great event, a really great experience for everybody And essentially like putting a stake in the ground in that, you know, we are a forward thinking evidence based group. This voice 
um, in the profession is getting louder and louder. And this group is going to continue to grow and make positive change. I felt like people had, for myself, I guess, skin in the game. Yes. I want this seminar to be good because there's going to be some people that are just like, I'm just here. But I think because of where it was located, if you wanted to go to this seminar, you pretty much had to travel to Mm -hmm. it. Absolutely. Like if I went to a factor, I would expect to be everything to be take, be handled. Mm-hmm. Is the coffee hot in the back? Just tell me where to go. I expect this to be a, a, a fine tuned engine, and I'm just there. I paid you the money. Let's just get the let's get the course going. But with forward, it was felt like if we're going to be a success, let's all pitch in. Let's make sure things are good and everybody's happy and help out people who look confused and, and all that kind of stuff. And that might just be me, but that's how I felt. That was absolutely the case, and you know it's amazing. What was cool about from an event management standpoint with this event that was so different from other chiropractic conferences I've worked with is that I was never at a shortage of people wanting to help. I was never at a shortage of people wanting to step up. And even in the beginning, when we first started working with Bobby, he was very much of the mind that like, let's make this whatever we want it to be. There's no script that's already been written. There's no framework that we have to follow. Like, let's do this the way that FTCA does events and let's, you know, create a framework for this is what's important to us. This is how we want to do things. So we did make sure that it was fun and there was networking involved and there was, you know, TED Talks on Friday night, which were just a ton of um, a ton of fun. But then they provided really great insight and perspective from so many different professionals. And then when it came to our exhibitors and sponsors, like it was a first year event it was a group that was unknown to many of them and they really, mm-hmm. you know, stepped up in a big way for this first event. And I know that from their perspective, they felt like they were taking a lot of risk. So the the companies that did step up, like we wanted to make sure that they were given the red carpet treatment throughout, like make sure that people, you know, go up and shake their hand and say, wow, thank you. We had people posting on their Facebook pages and their Instagram pages before they ever came to the event when we announced they were a sponsor, just saying, hey, thank you so much for stepping up. Thank you for supporting this event. Um, And then, of course, you know, after the event, the response has just been overwhelming of the attendees that said how great it was. Um, And like you said, it was not without hiccups. You know, every event has something go wrong. And, you know, they all do. It's just expected. You know that's going to happen. But there was never one person that complained or one person that, you know, really made it a big issue. Everybody just completely rolled with it. And, and we made it a, a, as much of a seamless experience as possible. Miss Riddle, have you heard of Pain Zone by MedZone since 2001? <laughs> I have. It's a nice pain relieving gel with three different ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> I have. Uh, they were one of our, our wonderful sponsors that stepped up at that event. And the Prolone Diet, aka the Longevity Diet by Lango. Yes. Check them out. Read the book. <laughs> Buy their week-long food. No, uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm actually, I've got somebody coming on to talk about the Prolone diet. The, the book is amazing. The research that this guy did to promote this, this called longevity mm-hmm. diet is unreal. And I know it's, that's a different episode for a different day, but these are the sponsors that were the group and I'm making a joke about it, but these are actually good products. Oh, absolutely. Like and, I'm sure they don't mind applying. Well, and even the ACA, like the ACA stepping up to have a presence at this event. It it was. And the beautiful thing about it was they said that that was one of the most successful events in terms of member new member signups they've ever had. 
So that just goes to show like that the people that came to that group, the people that are members of FTCA, like they genuinely like they step up, they show up, they get things done. And the fact that they were willing to, you know, join ACA on the spot and say, yes, I appreciate the fact that you're here. We want to support what you guys are doing from a political standpoint for the profession and and the way that they've you know stepped up with their Choose Wisely campaign. You know, I think it, it really sets a tone for future events and for things to come. Now, audience, if you're wondering what in the world, if you're still hanging out with us on this podcast <laughs> at this point, this is what she does. So this is kind of like a promo for she can create seminars. If you're looking to do this, uh, you have an idea, you can contact her, I'm sure. Absolutely. And she can brainstorm this and talk to you and get this from a thought to actually schedule with a hotel and getting media coverage out there. Yes. True? Yes, absolutely. Um, we really enjoy working with instructors, you know, practitioners that have, like I said, they, they've come up with really great curriculums. They want to offer something. They want to help other practitioners grow. So, you know, we can take you from, you know, the concepting phase all the way through um, managing, you know, your live or online events. And how do people find out more information about this? So you can go to sports-seminars.com and uh, you can chat with me on my interactive chat box. Um, My face will pop up (laughs) as soon as you come on. Um, But likewise, we have contact forms all over the site. Or you can also email me, um, jessica at sports-seminars.com. Hey, since this is already a long podcast, I love to ask this question. You've got a lot going on with all these seminars and all these different things. Do you have any kind of hobbies or volunteering that you do to uh, get your mind more focused and clear for the for working? Um, I would love to say that, you know, I go to the theater on a regular basis and I play tennis and, you know, I'm involved in volunteer work. But I do have four small children at home, and that definitely takes the the primary focus of of all of my free time. So they are ten, nine, four and a half, and two. Oh. So um, yeah, they, they keep me pretty much busy outside of work hours. I do enjoy you know getting to go and, and work out when I can. I think it's important for everybody to to take a break at some point to find some time in your week for you know even if it's just reading a good book you know, fiction or nonfiction. I mean, even if you're reading something to make you a better business person, it still helps you shut your mind off for a little while and, and find a little bit of me time in there. Do you have any books that you would recommend? Um, I'm a big fan of, and what I've been reading lately is a lot of Russell Brunson's work. Yeah, He's the uh, creator of ClickFunnels. So there's two books, um, Expert Secrets and Dotcom Secrets. And I know when you hear the titles, you think, ah, this is some kind of cheesy, you know, internet mumbo jumbo. Um, but the insight he provides in those books about marketing and sales, um, because so many people like are very good at marketing and promotion, but they stink at sales because you can get a ton of exposure and a ton of leads. But if you're not doing anything to actually make them convert into paying patients or customers or clients, then then you're not really completing what you need to complete as far as your your full strategy. Mm-hmm. So he does a really good job of marrying the two and helping provide really any business owner with some tools, tactics and strategies to help you, you know, really kind of get into the mind of your end consumer and help provide them with the value that they see so that when it comes time to make that decision to book a book an appointment with you, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Really good information on that one. 
And they're only, mm-hmm. what, nine ninety five free plus shipping? Yeah, it's like free plus shipping for the books. Um, and then, you know, obviously they provide a lot of great other videos, online resources, tutorials. They do like a printed newsletter. It's, it's a wealth of information. There's lots of Facebook groups out there, too, that you can kind of join to learn a little bit more about ClickFunnels and, and how they work. Absolutely. Uh, lastly, we know you're married. You got lots of children. How do you keep the love alive and feel connected to your spouse? Honestly, the biggest thing that we do is just make each other a priority. So we both travel a great deal. And by we, I mainly mean him. (laughs) He travels (laughs) travels way more than I do. Although I just have been gone for a number of weeks traveling. So I feel now like I'm I'm the traveled one. But (laughs) we travel a lot. So he, you know, has periods where he's out teaching and, and away from, you know, where I am physically. But just always making each other a priority, like making sure that we call, text, reach out, you know, even little things like if I'm gone for an extended period of time, like I was these past couple of weeks, like I sent him a card in the mail just to let him know I'm thinking about him. That's cute. And then likewise, especially when you have a spouse that you also, you know, work with in some way or another, just making sure that you have dedicated time to talk about work and talk about the business. Um, because I know so many practitioners, you know, your spouse is involved in that just as much as you are because you're building a business together. Um, it's almost like having another child. You have to have a clear delineation between work time and personal time and like home time. And we're not going to talk about business after, you know, this time is over. I think that's really important, especially when you have the stress of being an entrepreneur on top of everything else. I think that could be hard because there's probably a time when someone's married or spouse or partner, they don't do that very well. They know their relationships is suffering and they both know it and they have to make that decision. I think sometimes of do I set it up and be mechanical just to get through it and before it becomes more natural. And sometimes it's like humbling yourself to say, okay, I know this is where we are. And we all we do is we argue about the business because if it's, if it's not where you want it to be. So what can mm-hmm. we do to patch this up so we don't lose our family if the business isn't doing that well as well? Um, and that's, I think that's the reality. Some of the guests on the show is kind of on our avatars is people who are kind of struggling kind of in all areas of life because business is kind of up and down so much. So, Well, and it is hard. I mean, I think, and once again, no one really tells you, it's just like parenthood. No one tells you how hard it is to be a parent. Because they can't, like, there's no way to explain to someone what that's like until they have their own children. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's when you appreciate your parents. That's when you realized, okay, that's what that was like. You know, same thing when it comes to starting a business. You can read all the books in the world. You know, I, I have a business degree. I went to school and got a business and marketing degree to learn how to start a business. And I did not learn anything about running a business until I actually started one. Like, There's only so much theory they can teach you in school, just like in chiropractic school, before you guys actually put your hands on patients, there's only so much they can prepare you for before you actually start doing it on a regular basis. And when it comes to entrepreneurship, especially, it takes a a certain personality, it takes a certain level of grit to get through the tough times of business ownership and having a partner that is fully invested in that with you you know, it can be difficult because when you're up, they're going to be up. But then when you're down, they're going to be down there with you. And it's just a matter of balancing each other out and being honest and communicating and saying, you know what, I'm really overwhelmed right now. Or 
I'm sorry. Like, I know you're tired of me talking about this, but it's just really weighing on my mind and I value your opinion. Like, I would really love for you to help me figure this out. Um, and likewise, if you're the person on the other end of that, you know, being available to say, okay, let's talk it out. Let me help you figure this out. Yeah. Very good. Sometimes you gotta have permission to just say, Hey, I can't talk about it right now. Or I can't listen to this right now. I need, <laughs> I need a break. I need a break. Let's come back Absolutely. to it in an hour. Yeah. Jessica Riddle, thank you so much for being on the podcast, giving out so much information. I do hope that you'll get some clicks and, um, it's just, I hope everybody stay tuned to the end because there's so much information packed into this one, uh, one podcast this week. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. And um, likewise, I'm, I'm always here as a resource if, if anybody has any questions regarding the world of marketing, especially when it comes to, you know, courses and events. I'd like to tell you about a special deal we're doing right now. If you're listening to this months or years from right now, just contact me. Maybe we can still offer this for you. But what it is, the acupuncture no needle book. We're doing some bonuses for the same cost of the book. Not only do you get a one hour one-on-one coaching session, but I will actually throw in the probe and the ear seeds, which I already like to do. But the big thing is you're going to get the electric acupuncture pin for no extra cost. The electric acupuncture pin actually helps you find the acupuncture points that you need to stimulate. And because it's kind of like a muscle stem, but with a special tip, you're going to get far superior results. Definitely go to needlessacupuncture.net and check that out. Also, uh, the first book, Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health. You know, we're talking tips from China. We're talking 10 plus years experience as a chiropractor, answering patients' questions day in and day out, blueprints that I personally use to lose weight, not eat so much, and also keep my finances in order. It's something that I'm passionate about. That's why I wrote the book. It's over 200 pages, 40-something chapters. Uh, again, offering a bonus for this one as well, a one-on-one coaching call for one hour at no extra cost. We got t-shirts, some uh, different state pride, some chiropractic t-shirts. If you got any ideas, let me know. I can maybe design up something and make it available for everybody. Follow us on uh, social media because there are a lot of sales that go on with these shirts. Let you know if you write a review, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, let me know. Send me an email and every month I can raffle off one prize. The prize is to be determined, but we can do that. Also, if you check underneath the resources page on doctorsperspective.net, You'll see all our affiliate links, which we get a little kickback for. And then, of course, on every show note page, we have Amazon links for the books that people have mentioned and any other types of products. So if you click that, Amazon pays us a little bit. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can buy the host a cup of coffee on the PayPal button on the website. And remember, listen, critically think about it, and implement it into your practice. We just went hashtag behind the curtain, and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.